Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. How's it going, guys, and welcome to Obsidian Nights, Episode 3. Now, this chapter is the first chapter where we get the beloved character, Catelyn Stark. Beloved. <laughs> so, Catelyn Stark is kind of a polarizing character in the A Song of Ice and Fire community, and it's interesting that a lot of the northern parts um, in A Song of Ice and Fire in the first book are told from her perspective because she's out of place, right? So, she is... A southerner coming to the north and though she has northern children um, though she's been in the north for a um, number of years she still feels I guess kind of out of place she still feels separate from the people of the north and their strange culture and their strange customs so this chapter starts off with Catelyn walking into the gods woods and she's kind of uncomfortable amongst the weirwood trees um she and here off right from the beginning we start to see some of the differences between how the religion in the south works and the religion uh that's more common in the north so we learn in this chapter some very interesting facts and i'll let you jump in in a second grade but like the key things we learn is that catlin follows the southern religion the, the religion of the andals of the seven and that religion had been passed down in her family for many generations. Wallace, Ned, and their children follow, and the rest of the North follow the religion of the nameless gods. And we learn in this chapter that they share their gods with none other than the children of the forest. So this allows us to see the heathenistic nature of the religion and uh, the kind of pagan influences. Uh, it's nature-based, and it's more about... Um, mankind in conjunction with the earth um, as opposed to the faith of the seven which is really just a god that is built in the images of men so you have with the faith of the seven you have the mother the crone the warrior whereas the old gods the northern gods are nameless and faceless these are the gods of the earth and the gods of nature as opposed to gods that are created in the image of men or vice versa. So really one of the first things that stood out to me about this chapter was how we get the distinct sense of these two different religions and these two different cultures uh, already. But I know you wanted to talk about something else specifically about the weirwood trees. Uh, so go ahead. You want me to jump in? The description of the weirwood I love about the blood-stained hands... Catelyn is coming into the godswood and and she seems afraid of the heart tree. Why do you think she's afraid of it? Well, she's unsettled by the trees, I think, as anybody would. And as the books continue, slight spoiler, we do see some other southerners react to werewood trees. And mostly they kind of have similar reactions to it. They're a bit unsettled. Uh, the sap looks like blood. It's a creepy white tree with a face. It's not something you see every day. 
and you know Catelyn doesn't really like it. So it's it's the trees are just themselves unsettling. And then you know I, we see a little bit later in this chapter, and I'll just I'll, I'll read the quote here. At the center of the grove, an ancient weirwood brooded over a small pool where the waters were black and cold. The heart tree, Ned called it. The weirwood's bark was white as bone, its leaves dark red, like a thousand blood-stained hands. A face had been carved into the trunk of the great tree, its features long and melancholy, the deep-cut eyes red with dried sap, and strangely watchful. They were old, those eyes, older than Winterfell itself. They had seen Brandon the Builder set the first stone if the tales were true. They had watched the castle's granite walls rise and fall around them. It was said that the children of the forest had carved these faces in the trees during the dawn centuries before the coming of the first men across the narrow sea. In the south, the last weirwoods had been cut down or burned out a thousand years ago except on the Isle of Faces, where the green men kept their silent watch. Up here, it was different. Here, every castle had its god's wood, and every god's wood had its heart tree, and every heart tree its face. So, in that quote, we see more about the differences of how people worship in the south versus how people worship in the north. So in that quote, we learned that these weird trees were at some point covering all of Westeros, but they've been cut down in the south, except for some specific places like the Isle of Faces. And then we also get a hint of some other kind of off, far off thing that we don't hear about until much later, which is the green men keeping their watch uh, not just their watch, their silent watch. So the green men keeping their silent watch, they're watching quietly from the Isle of Faces, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, they're probably like monks. <laughs> what are the green men? So that's the question in the Song of Ice and Fire community. There's a lot of speculation about them, and we only get sparse hints. Pretty much what we have here, we don't really get more than that. Uh, yeah. They're green men, they're on the Isle of Faces. What are they doing? We don't know. Could they in some way be related to the children of the forest? That's a possibility considering the fact that, that the children of the forest are referenced in this same section. Um, are they just another name for the children of the forest? That's something else that's not really clear, I would say. They could just be some other name for the children of the forest, or they could be some weird offshoot of the children of the forest. Yeah, that and another thing, it's interesting because we've talked about things being mentioned really early on and 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 when you read when you're reading a game of thrones you know this is the first book that martin wrote in the series so a lot of information is in this first book and in this chapter we're getting introduced to the isle of faces and we're getting introduced to the weirwoods and the faith of the seven and all of these things that will be possibly important later so it's like take note of them and and the green men do the green men have a part to play they are mentioned very early on in the book and like going back and looking at this and seeing how early on things like the owl of faces and the green men are being mentioned it's almost it almost seems like impossible that they wouldn't play some kind of role later yeah. on yeah I, I mean considering what the children of the forest are doing with bran and all of that later on and also in this chapter you you mentioned things being brought up early on we're introduced to a lot of characters that aren't gonna that don't appear on screen yet so we learn about john aaron and we learn a little bit about the relationship between ned stark and king robert how they grew up together we learn about how catelyn's sister was married to john aaron um so we learn a lot about those 
relationships. And we learn that Ned isn't too keen on these people named the Lannisters. And we learn that Robert Baratheon is married to a Lannister and his children are Lannisters. So here, George R. R. Martin is showing us how all of these relationships kind of interweave together. And he's kind of sowing the seeds for a lot of the drama that we will see in the books in the upcoming chapters. So the main kind of turn, or the key to this chapter, the main element of it, is Catelyn coming in and telling Ned about the death of John Aaron, who was basically like a father figure to him and Robb Stark, and then who would um, later go on to help them rebel against the king. But we won't get into that, the current king then, but we won't get into that later. So Ned is obviously hit hard by John Aaron's death, and we immediately see his emotion. But then it's interesting in this chapter because we see his initial sadness about John Aaron's death. And he tells Catelyn that she should go and take their kids and and, and fill uh, Lysa's home with, with the laughter of children. But then the ball kind of turns when Catelyn then says, but the king rides for Winterfell. And I think we can bring up the show here because it's a little different in the show. It, in, in the book, it's, it's, Ned isn't, in the show, let me start with the show. In the show, it's kind of like, oh, he's like, oh, no, the king can only want one thing. And it's kind of like this kind of foreboding kind of deal that's going on when, they, when she tells him that the king is coming. But in this chapter, he gets a bit excited. He's, Ned is genuinely excited to see his friend that he hasn't seen in a long time. And he even says in this chapter, like, oh, just seeing Robert will be great. Even if I have to deal with all these Lannisters. <laughs> with an infestation of Lannisters. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting and kind of and kind of cool that Ned was so excited to see him. Yeah, I think this, chap- this chapter, in my opinion, could have been a little more interesting if we had Ned's point of view. Of like Ned finding out that John Aaron was killed. And Ned finding out that Robert was coming. Like I kind of want to know what is going on in his head. Even though he's talking to Catelyn. And and telling her things. Like he's a, he's a brooder. He broods. So like Jon Snow. Yeah. <laughs> Jon Snow. He's, he's, that's how he is. So I doubt like you know. all of, we're, we're seeing all of his emotions on display. Mm-hmm. And seeing everything that's going on inside on display and um robert and ned actually grew up together they're close friends they're best friends and he's happy 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 that he's coming for sure and you mentioned like how ned is brooding that's kind of a stark trait like all the starks kind of have their brooding traits and i believe in this chapter catelyn even says something like this is a place for brooding the the godswoods and and we I, we brought up earlier about how Catelyn feels kind of out of place in the North and all their strange customs and the ways of the people. The thing about the Starks and pretty much all the Northerners is that they are hard people. Like they've they've lived through hard times, and it's even reflected in the names. Uh, George R. Martin has brought this up before. They're, they have you've got other people in the world of Ice and Fire Targaryen. Lannister, kind of fancy names, but in the north it's Stark. Uh, really hard, hard names like Bolton. Um, so it's 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 hard names for a hard place and hard times, and that it, it all that just breeds hard people, I guess. And also, Catelyn brings up interestingly enough the Stark words: "Winter is coming," and she points out how those words are very different from most 
southern houses. They have words like, hear me roar, growing strong, family, duty, honor. It's all about vanity. But the stark words are, winter is coming. And think about what that means. It just means prepare for the worst. The worst is yet to come. It's kind of like never let your guard down because winter is right around the corner. If you want to know, yeah, if you want to know how like hardcore the Starks are, when Ned asked Catelyn like, how is Rickon doing with the wolf? Keep in mind, Rickon's three years old and she was like, is he afraid of the wolf? Ned's like, is he afraid of the wolf? And Catelyn's like, a little. He's only three. And Ned frowns at that, like, he must learn to face his fears. He will not be three forever, and winter is coming. Like, what the hell? Yeah, he's like, man up. He's three. Yeah, Ned's like, man up. Like, we don't play this here. Winter is coming. But, you know, in Westeros, where you can have, like, a ten-year summer, Rickon is going to have to learn pretty soon that he was born in summer. This is all he's ever known. But times are not always going to be this easy. And that gets more to the core of what those words really mean. Times get harder, so we have to be ready. So basically, man up, Rickon. You're three. Be a man. Be a but man. Yeah. <laughs> man up, my three-year-old son. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. Come watch me chop this dude's head off. <laughs> I mean, but hey. Yeah, I mean, but you wonder, like, in that early chapter, like, why is he making Bran, this this young kid, watch such a thing? And But it's like, you do need to toughen up. Yeah. Not just in the North, but this is a hard world that George R. R. Martin is crafting here. Yeah. A hard world all around. I mean, the medieval world is just hard, period. And yeah, that's... but, like, he throws on a 10-year <laughs> winter yeah. on top of it. <laughs> Really? And then it's like, so the star, so Ned and Catelyn, they're talking in the Godswood. And we kind of find out why Ned doesn't like the Lannisters. And I think this is important. And I think this, I don't want to say it's like the theme for a lot of things, but I feel like it, it, the shadow of this is what looms over a lot of the first book. And it, causes mistrust between um ned and robert i mean other things between ned and the lannisters other things cause mistrust of course but i feel like this is one thing and it it's that tywin lannister came late to robert's cause and he only came when he knew that the victory was certain we we find out really early that the lannisters are shady yeah and, yeah, we, we get some hints of, of the reasons why, but we don't know the exact details of it. It, it. it does definitely get expanded upon later. Yeah, as we go go on chap- in yeah. the later chapters. And and Ned definitely has reason to not like the Lannisters. It's, it's justified because they did come late after, like, a lot of damage had already been dam- done to his family. Pretty much all of the damage. And then what's also interesting about this chapter, too, is that we mentioned how Ned kind of seems to light up when he learns that Robert is coming. But one of the things that I feel like Ned missed from the get-go is that he's he's being all like down on the Lannisters, but he doesn't understand that House Baratheon is is married into the Lannisters. These two houses are tied together, and so uh, Lady Catelyn brings up in this chapter how Ned isn't very uh, superstitious 
right? So he kind of ignores the omen. Yes. And we talked about the omen in that very first chapter, the omen of the stag killing the dire wolf. And Ned says, and Catelyn says that people have been talking about it in the yard, but Ned doesn't take take any stock into this. But he, he has to understand that House Baratheon is essentially House Lannister. These two houses are merged at this point. Uh, while, while as Ned might be kind of like... Not, not, no harm could ever come to me by the hands of House Baratheon. I'm so close to Robert Baratheon, but it's no longer just House Baratheon. It's grown and it's become entwined with another great house. And I think that it's important to heed the signs, which I think that's something Ned isn't considering that Catelyn is. So maybe that's part of the reason why it was kind of important to see it from Catelyn's perspective, to see it from how someone from the outside looking in. Sees this, sees this whole situation. I think that this is one instance when Catelyn was right and Ned should have listened to her. That she was right here. That she should be concerned about the um, direwolf being found dead with the antler. Let's talk about Ned and Catelyn's relationship for a little bit. What I like about this chapter is that we see from the get-go that they actually do love each other. And it, they love each other a lot because a lot of this, a lot of back in these times, like when you had like arranged marriages and stuff, people were just mar- mar- marrying to join houses and whatnot. And that was initially they initially did have kind of a political marriage like that, but it grew into love, and you really see that she knows him. So when we were talking about the omen, she comes up and she says, "This man that I love," and I feel like she's not really trying hard to convince him that it's. A bad thing or that it's an omen because it's almost like she knows already that he won't see it that way that he won't look at it this way and it's, it's she's, she's looking at him and she's and she's accepting his flaws she's accepting him for who he is and she's saying this is the man that i love and i know this is the way he is and i have to accept this and support him and i just i just feel like it's it's kind of just beautiful that she that she knows him so well and we see more of this as as the books unfold um, they, they, they do kind of, they have a great relationship, I think. I, that's one of, if, say what you want about Catelyn, I feel like one of the highlights about that character is her love for Ned. Right, people go on about her love for children, but I feel like her love for Ned kind of outweighed her love for her children, in my personal opinion. I feel like that, it was a stronger love here, because it was a love that grew out of just nothing at first, and it just, it grew kind of organically, I feel like. Yeah, um, they do love each other. Catelyn, I don't know. I don't really... Well, can I just say one but... thing? It, it grew from... it. She she developed a love from him, for him, even though she was taken from her home, brought to this strange place, initially engaged to his brother. Yeah. But it's, it's a love that grew out of hardships and very trying times. Yeah, I mean... She had no choice but to grow to love him, I guess, because... I mean, she didn't have to. I mean, cause, like, she could have been bitter, like Cersei is... Like, we'll, we'll, we'll later see that uh, the king's wife, Cersei, is, is, doesn't really love him. She's super bitter. Catelyn could have been the same way yeah, because could've. Ned Stark has a bastard. Jon Snow, he's brought home this I, child. She was. But she him. still loves him. She accepted it and she grew beyond it. So I just, I just... I feel like that's it's very pure. She didn't accept it. I mean, she she Okay, but she she Okay, we can get it. We this is this is an argument that we can totally have. I mean, it, it depends on what you mean by accepted, right? I mean, she could have been like I don't even want him here in Winterfell. I I won't even look at this. Like I don't even cuz like a lot of 
A lot of highborn ladies wouldn't even, wouldn't even, it'd be no question. You can't even be in the castle. Send him to the village down the street. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean. But it was, it was directed towards John, her, her, her hatred and her anger, which is unfair. But her love for Ned is still pure and it survived that anyway, is what I'm saying. That's true. But like, if you love somebody, like my love for a person would make my love for them like an ex- extend to their child. But I mean, I guess I get it. I think, I think what one of the things that I don't want to even say that because that's going to be spoilery and we're trying to do this podcast without spoiler. So I'm not going to say that, but, um, I will say that she did. She accepted Ned. She did. She, she never accepted John, but she did accept Ned. She did love Ned. I just kind of feel like it was forced on both of them to like each other, love each other. But don't you feel like that's why it was so kind of powerful? Because like bitterness could have grown out of that. But instead, like what could have been bitterness and resentment turned into love. Yeah, I mean, that is powerful. And I like it because it. when you go further on into the books, and this is kind of a spoiler, not really a spoiler. There aren't very many happy couples in Westeros. Like, I can't yeah. even name two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and like, yeah, like Ned and Catelyn are, are one of those pure, pure relationships. They really were, and that's why it's, 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 it's just so impactful to just watch them and watch their story progress. So in this chapter, we also learn a little bit more about the Night's Watch and what they do. We learn about the Wall. Then we learn that there is a king beyond the wall named Mance Raider, and it's interesting that Mance Raider is introduced in book one because this is a character that doesn't really become relevant until quite a bit later so it's interesting that george r martin is laying the seeds for this character in chapter three of this epic saga so that's super cool and interesting and so i just want to read this quote um so this is this is the day may come when i will have no choice but to call the banners and ride north to deal with this king beyond the wall for good and all beyond the wall the thought made catelyn shudder ned saw the dread on her face mance raider is nothing for us to fear there are darker things beyond the wall she glanced behind her at the tree the pale bark and red eyes watching listening thinking its long slow thoughts his smile was gentle you listen to too many of old Nan's stories. The others are as dead as the children of the forest, gone 8,000 years. Maester Lewin will tell you they never lived at all. No living man has ever seen one. So, Mance Raider. And then we get another mention of old Nan, who's going to show up soon. Old Nan and her creepy old, old tales. And we also learn about Maester Lewin, who is a maester. And we'll learn about them as the book goes on. They're basically like medieval scribes and medicine men they're smart guys of, of westeros you know what i love about that little section i just wrote i just read catelyn says there are darker things beyond the wall and then ned assumes that she's talking about the others he's like oh the others are gone like they're just as dead as the children of the forest they might have never even existed anyway but then it's like catelyn says that but then she looks at the heart tree and she thinks of it's pale bark and it's red eyes watching and listening. And 
and we already saw earlier in this chapter that she seems quite, she's fearful of the trees. So maybe she was just talking about the creepy werewood trees. And that kind of, everyone knows I've got my crazy conspiracy theories about the children of the forest and them, you know, maybe not being up to no good, but we don't want to get into that yet. But I just think it's in interesting that Ned immediately assumes that she's talking about these others who showed up in the prologue when maybe she was, maybe she's just afraid of the trees and the trees watching. Um, that is a good, that's a good yeah, point. It's super interesting because so, you assume so there's more he, trees in the north. So you're, so what you're saying is, so what you're saying is that she wasn't even talking about the others, but the others were on his mind and the others are likely on his mind because he just executed, he's cleaning the blood off his sword because he just executed a guy. And he did, yeah. That and he doesn't seem so sure anymore. Now does he? Right. He he seems to be losing no, confidence doesn't. because another thing we learn in this chapter is that the Night's Watch is losing men rapidly. Deserters are part of it, but then also what's even weirder and stranger is the fact that they're going missing beyond the wall. And Ned is assuming here again. They're going missing because of the wildlings who are uh, who are introduced in the prologue. They're the wild people that live beyond the wall. He's thinking that it's because of the wildlings, but maybe, maybe it's not the wildlings, Ned. Maybe it's something else. So this is maybe another instance where Catelyn's like, Ned, maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe there is some dark stuff going on. Because uh, one thing in this series that I like is that there there is hints that there is some kind of strange resonance that emanates from magical stuff right uh, if, you, if you get really deep into the lore in the world of ice and fire there's mention this doesn't show up in the main series but the five forts that radiate this evil sense or so they radiate something you can feel the energy so maybe catelyn is picking up on something even from the werewood tree some something that's kind of my favorite word esoteric that's hard to grasp. <laughs> um, something that she can't really put her finger on. And that's where the fear is emanating from. It's coming from that place. Uh, so that that's an interesting way that I like to I like to think about it. Yeah, it is crazy because um whatever the guy told Ned, whatever the deserter told Ned in um brand one, Ned says the poor man was half mad. Something had put a fear in him so deep that my words could not reach him. And then that's when he talks about all yeah. of the things you were talking about, about the watch being below a thousand and men um, going missing on rangings. But I would like the fact, I would like that, like the weirwoods giving off some kind of evil vibe just, to Catelyn. Because yeah. she always feels mm -hmm. like they're staring at her. Not even just evil, just, just something just unsettling. Like you feel something watching you like you feel like there is a presence there looking at you and there's more evidence to this as the book goes on for certain there's more evidence of this that you can that you can feel something kind of resonating out of there so in this chapter we learn a little bit more about ned's sword ice and i'm gonna let you read this section this quote here and then we'll talk about it some more so go ahead Catelyn had no love for swords, but she could not deny that ice had its own beauty. It had been forged in Valyria before the doom had come to the old freehold, when the ironsmiths had worked their metal with spells as well as hammers. Four hundred years old it was, 
and it was as sharp as the day it was forged. The name it bore was older still, a legacy from the age of heroes when the Starks were kings in the north. It's basically telling us that ice is only 400 years old. And I know there are so many theories that ice is way older than that. So, I mean, so here's the deal, right? So ice was forged, according to this chapter, 100 years before the doom of Valyria. But it says here that the name could go back further. So what I'm thinking is that ice was probably a different sword back in the day. It was a different sword that the Starks just had. And then at some point in their history, approximately 400 years ago, they said, oh, we can get a better family sword made. And so they, they had the new ice forged. And then we learn, we do get some hints at the properties of Valyrian steel here till we learn that it never has to be sharpened. It's still as sharp as the day they got it. Um, and then maybe Valyrian steel has some other properties because it is spell forged, whatever that means. So that's one of the things I love about George R. R. Martin is he'll just say something like spell forged and then no more information. Make of it what you other make than, of it what you will. Other than the metal, he sh he polished the metal to a dark glow. So he has glowing steel that it's was got made a with spells. Beauty to it. And you remember we talked about in the prologue how the the white kind of stares at that one sword, thinking like, is this is this something that can kill me? Is this sword something that can kill me? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it takes some kind of spellforge steel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. And, and we actually looked up on the timeline, and we went back and looked at the timeline. So the timeline puts the Starks actually purchasing, or I don't even want to say purchase because we don't know if they purchased or if it was gifted or whatever. We, we tracked that down to about the same time the Valyrians made their outpost at Dragonstone. So it was like, so that would have been a connection between the old Valyrian Empire and Westeros. So you got the Targaryens who are posted up here. So like there was like, this sword could have gone, it could have gone through like someone made it in Valyria. It gets brought over to the Targaryen place and then given to the Starks. So like that sword, ice, it very well may have like crossed in the Targaryen hands before it went into Stark hands, which is super interesting to me. Yeah. To think that the, that the Targaryens could have facilitated this exchange or this trade, because it says very clearly here that it was made um, in Valyria, not Westeros. So it was it wasn't made on Dragonstone, but it's a possibility that it that the trade could have been facilitated by the Targaryens who were on Dragonstone which is super cool for some reason. And we don't even know anything about the Targaryens yet. And then also, finally in this chapter, we get the first mention of Ned Stark's last living brother, Benjamin Stark, who is a member of the Night's Watch. And so that'll be a character that's appearing a little bit later in the book. And just so much, so much is introduced here. Um, and yeah, we'll see how it, we'll see how it unfolds on, on the future episodes of Obsidian Knights. Everything from this chapter is expanded on as we go forward. Every single thing. The curious thing about Catelyn Stark and this chapter and then just all of her chapters pretty much is that she is a watcher. She 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 is like she's not she is in the center of things, but she's really just watching more important people do more important things. 
that is kind of like she she she's she's looking at other people do interesting things basically and that's what the character that's kind of the point of the character to kind of see what's going on and as we go through the books that's that's we have her perspective to just kind of just see other people see what other people are doing um so yeah in this chapter we we we, we get introduced to care to catlin and her relationship with ned and like all the other interconnecting relationships we learn that she is from the south we kind of get more of a feeling for how big westeros is um yeah. just from her saying some things um we learn about some varying religions the faith of the seven uh and then the the faith that the northerners have worshiping the nameless gods we learn about the fact that she's super out of place in the north and we learn about the differing cultures just in westeros yeah uh, just from the north and the south and spoiler alert there are many more differing cultures going on <laughs> yeah. it does not end here and no, so it's it just i mean i think it's a really good opening to the character yeah, i mean definitely. If you, i feel like if you if you go on to dislike Cat catlin from this point on it's not gonna be because of this chapter <laughs> oh no it definitely won't be because of this chapter uh, but yeah. we'll we'll just keep keep an open mind about her and, and until we get to her fuck ups later. Keep an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we ask. Just keep an open mind. I mean, and, you know, I've, it, it's polarized. I've seen some a lot of hate towards Catelyn, and then I've seen a lot of love towards Catelyn. It just depends on who you're asking, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Order the Green Hand, uh, shout out. They really, really hate Catelyn. <laughs> I know. They, they, they can't do not her. like Catelyn, like, at all. I don't think um, they like Sansa either. Yeah. I mean, Sansa is just mini Catelyn, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see that as that we get more introduced to that character. One thing that we didn't touch on that I just really quickly just going to touch, touch on it while you're wrapping up through the chapter you were talking about how they were the north is a hard place and they're trying to like hammer that in that the north is hard and the stark name is hard and the when the stark words are hard but the way this chapter ends with them finding out that robert's coming and ned being happy but then ned being like damn like i gotta feed all these people and like winter is coming like the summer is kind of winding down and in in this time period you want to be like storing like they store their food and their grain and their all of these things and now he has to feed like this entire royal party and he only has like a month to prepare for it and we can for sure talk about this later but like one of the things that george r R. martin goes into is just like the meaningless of decadence like how 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 these nobles can just be so wasteful for no reason. Oh like my god! Miniature spoiler: There's a wedding later on in this book. I was in, just in the books. That was in my mind's eye. It's crazy. That's in like book three. It's like crazy, ridiculous, like giant wedding that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's just like the wastefulness of all of this when it's like, dude, winter is coming. We exactly. <laughs> like, what are we doing? So yeah, that's a really good point, Gray. Oh, I can't wait till we do that chapter. Yeah, it's a few books away though. <laughs> Yeah, we got a while. <laughs> We're gonna start cranking these out. I, I we we know this one was a little late. But we're gonna start cranking these out. Yeah, we're turning up the heat, and you know the next episode is my girl, and it's your girl too, Quinn. Daenerys. <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll we'll be introducing uh, Daenerys Targaryen in that first chapter, and it's gonna be fun. So this has been this week's episode of Obsidian Nights. Check us both out on Twitter. Links in the description. We will both also be at Con of Thrones this month. If you're going this year and you see us there, feel free to say hi.